This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Before you mash that fast forward button to move to the beginning of today's episode, I'd like to quickly tell you about some ways you can support the show and everything that I'm doing right now. You can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Again, just go on over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month. Or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. It's incredibly important with the way iTunes works. So if you have a second, please leave a rating and or review and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you can listen to the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcast, you can check out chasethomaspodcast.com. That is all my previous episode, a link to my newsletter, and all my articles that I've written. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at chase double underscore thomas. You can like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer, or you can just tell a friend you found this independent sports podcast that they should check out too. Thank you for listening. You're all the best. And I think we've reached the point in this intro where my uncle Darren can play me in. All right, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, on the line right now, Yovan Bua of ESPN NBA. He's an editor there, and Yovan, the Oklahoma City Thunder. They were eliminated in the first round. Stephen A. Smith, before the season, had them as the number two team in the West. No question that they were going to be the number two team in the West and would challenge the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. Um, Sam Presti today is giving ominous quotes about Paul George's future with the team, and if he doesn't stay, then they're going to go back to the cheap ways of the early Clay Bennett era. And NBA superstar writer Zach Lowe, your colleague, is writing columns imploring Russell Westbrook and the team to change their approach going forward mr bua how are you i'm well man it's been a while it's been a few weeks you're hard to get like you keep getting promoted and it's getting more and more difficult <laughs> to get you on the podcast so um we got about a month left and then it's no more yovan i don't think no 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 uh i'll always have time i have some like i so your blonde hair is completely gone now. I don't know if the listeners know this or not, but uh, you've moved on from the uh, Justin Bieber face. I, I've thought about bringing it back. Uh, it, it is summertime. This was about, I think I did it early June last year. So we're kind of getting to that point of the of the summer, but uh, I'm not sure yet. I, I'm probably not going to do it again, but we'll, we'll see. I, I'm kind of probably leaning like 60-40 to not doing it. Okay. Um, are we too old for ripped jeans? Because I love ripped jeans and I might no. wear them every day this summer. No, I, okay. I, I don't think so. When When is the cutoff? How old is too old for ripped jeans? Does it just matter whether or not you look good and not age or what? <laughs> yeah, what yeah, I, th I think so. Like, I, I think if you're in your 30s, but you look like you're in your 20s, like you could still pull it off. 
Okay. So um, I've got like 40 years ahead of me because I look like I'm 12. So at that point, yeah. um, I'm, I'm in good shape. <laughs> it's good to know. Yeah. Um, I will say, love the blazer addition to my uh, summer wardrobe. So I don't know if I look like a gigantic douchebag or not, but um, that's for others to decide. So we'll get there. But <laughs> either way, it's all good. And um, you know where it's not all good? Oklahoma City. And I mentioned yeah. them at the start of this podcast. My first question surrounding them for you, are the Thunder in serious trouble moving forward? Because I, I don't know the answer to this question yet. I'm, we still got to see what happens with Melo um, and whether or not he's going to opt into the $28 million, but uh, something tells me that he's going to do that. And then uh, <laughs> Paul George, but are you concerned or like you already gave me one percentage or one it thing but that had to do with uh, whether or not you're dying your hair what do you put the odds of things going south quickly in oklahoma city if um paul george leaves or just where you're at right now with the team i'd put it at around 70 percent or, or so right now uh like i, I just think looking at the you know the, i actually think mellow will have a big factor in this only uh you know in that if he decides to opt out and, and not opt in, uh, in, in, you know, test free agency, which basically would mean he's leaving OKC because they're not gonna, you know, I, I think they'd love for him to leave, but you know, if he, if he did opt out, I don't think they would, they would resign him or if they did, it would be at a much lower rate. Um, so I think if he opts out, he's gone. Uh, and I think that would actually increase the odds that Paul George stays. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, in his exit interview, he mentioned, Russ and he mentioned Billy Donovan and he mentioned Sam Presti. Like he did not mention Carmelo Anthony. And I don't think that was coincidental. I think that was intentional. I think that, you know, if you, if you gave Russ and PG truth serum, they both would say Carmelo Anthony was, was a much worse player than either one anticipated heading into the season. Uh, he, He really was almost like kryptonite for this team, in my opinion, where like, you know, he, he already has never been a great defender or even really a plus defender. He's always been in, you know, an inconsistent to, to average at best rebounder. Uh, he's obviously never been a great passer, but now you, you factor in his isolations. Uh, you know, he, he's just kind of slowed down and, and not as, not as athletic as he used to be. He's not as efficient as he used to be. And he's basically just become a spot up shooter, but even his spot up shooting has been pretty inconsistent this past season. So uh, you know, I think Carmelo Anthony is a, you know, average player at best right now, uh, probably should be coming off the bench. And I, I just think that if he comes back to OKC, which, it, you know, he has 28 million reasons to, uh, you know, I think it's it's going to get ugly at some point because really he shouldn't be starting anymore. And clearly based off his exit interview comments, he does not agree with that. And then two, I think then again, if you're Paul George, you come back, you're, you're basically with the same team. And sure, Robertson will be back, and, and sure, you know, there's, there's team chemistry and, and kind of continuity that you, you got to factor in, and like maybe that, that team can win like 52, 53, 54 games next season. I just don't see a scenario in which they're better than the Rockets, Warriors, Celtics, Sixers, whatever team LeBron's on, you know, depending on where he goes. So, like, I still think at best they're like the fifth or sixth best team in the league. And I just don't really see a path to, to, to being better than that. So if I'm Paul George, I look, you know, I look at the Lakers where, you know, I'm from there. I think it's a, it's a nice young up and coming team that, you know, in the short term, he goes there that they're probably like a seven or eight seed, maybe a six seed at best. 
But, uh, you, you know, you're looking maybe two, three years down the road when, when the Warriors are going to kind of be coming down from their peak. Uh, I think that's when the Lakers will really be hitting their stride if, if they keep this young core together. Uh, that, that's kind of appealing for Paul George, who I believe is only 28. So he's still, he still has another probably four or five really productive years left. Um, and w- obviously with the modern NBA and the modern me- way like medicine's going and stuff, like guys are having longer peaks, longer careers. So Paul George has a little bit of an injury history that, that you know, we're aware of, but uh, I think he should be fine moving forward. So, so for me, if I'm Paul George, I'm leaving. Uh, you know, I'm going to LA. I'm going to Philly. I'm going to Houston. I'm, I'm going to wherever LeBron's going. Like, I'm just getting out of there because I think with the way Russ plays and the whole Carmelo situation, it's not looking good for the Thunder. You know, they're they're probably a second round team at best next season, and I, I just think that, you know, what what's the point of that? Yeah, it's tough. And it doesn't even feel like they were a four seed. I mean, everything was so clustered together uh, towards the end of this year. And like three through just like 10 was just all super close and everything like that. But I will say in the so the five man unit of Westbrook, Robertson, George, Anthony and Adams was plus 162 per 100 possessions like they they were just good when they had those five. It kind of reminds me of the Wizards in a weird way where the Wizards were so frustrating, and maybe I'll rant about them later on this podcast, but um, I predicted that they would beat the Raptors in a seven-game series, which I, I'm i running the numbers now, and it doesn't look like the Wizards are going to make it out of the first round. Um, not looking good. The Raptors are already in the second round playing the Cavaliers and blowing that. So I think the Wizards are done. But I, I just this team was really good when they had their big five and it was a team that seemed like they were built for the playoffs because the rotations get tighter. They get smaller and all they really have to play is like a Brenes, Peepat and like Jeremy Grant and maybe Raymond Felton and Josh Waitis. Is it Haitis? Hestis? What is his last name? I don't know. How to pronounce it, yeah, I think it's Hustis. Hustis. There you go. Um, if you go down to like the eight or nine guys there, it should have been good enough to at least beat the Jazz, but um, they had Corey Brewer in, in, instead, and he was pretty good, but he was only plus 17 with that unit versus when Robertson was there, and they played 337 minutes together. The Robertson version played 526 minutes, so they were really good um, when they had Robertson. And Brewer was fine. It just wasn't enough to beat the Jazz, but I do think it's not ridiculous to say that the Oklahoma City Thunder probably, even with it, just how bad Melo was in this series, I think they probably still would have beaten the Jazz in the seven-game series with Robertson. And I think Donovan Mitchell really benefited from not having someone like Robertson hound him for seven games. Is that fair? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I just think this also all comes back to Russ. And, you know... I, I, I'm sure you read Zach's piece. It seems like he did. Uh, and, and I, I agreed with most of it, but the the part I, I didn't really agree with, uh, that, that, that he wrote was that you can win because, because kind of the central question with Russ right now is, can you win with him as your leader, your go-to player, your go-to scorer, you know, your alpha, which he's kind of always going to be an alpha as long as he's playing. Um, and you know, Zach kind of said, can win with Russ because you've seen, you know, they had the, they made the finals in 2012. They, they almost made the finals again in 2014 and 2016. But again, I, I think like uh, it's, it's semantics, but you really like to most people, Kevin Durant was the best. I mean, not even like most, like Kevin Durant was the best player on that team. And really like there kind of was that hierarchy where 
Russ did defer to KD. And KD was usually the one taking the big shots. KD was usually the one getting the ball in crunch time. Like Russ did have his moments and then he, he had some big plays and he had some times when you're like, what the hell sh- shot are you taking? But for the most part, it was kind of like a 1A, 1B. Durant is the guy and, and Russ is kind of the number two. Uh, Russ didn't always accept it. And, and you kind of saw that towards the end of their relationship. I thought there's a little bit of that power struggle there. And that's probably ultimately why KD left because he, he kind of saw the writing on the wall. But uh, to me, the, the issue now is like you've seen back-to-back years what happens when Russ is the, is the go-to guy, is the clear alpha, the, the clear number one. This team just, you know, their offense devolves into very predictable, inefficient shots, a lot of mid-range, you know, a lot of contested, um, and, and it just it gets really ugly. It's really predictable, and it's really, you know, relatively easy to game plan in, in the, the new modern NBA with the, with the way teams play and the way they play defense. Like, you want to force contested mid-range shots. And, like, sure, Russ will get hot um, every now and then, but, like, you know, they, this could have honestly been a five-game series if not for that massive comeback in game five. Like, you know, it, we would have been looking at this even even worse for the Thunder. Like, I just don't think the, the way, like, you know, I, I think in theory they're they're better suited for the playoffs because in the playoffs I think star talent matters more. I think just being able to get a basket in in crunch time and, and like a kind of a you know possession breaks down. There's there's seven seconds left on the, on the shot clock. You need to get a bucket. Well, yeah, having Russell Westbrook, having Paul George, like that sounds great in theory, but just seeing the way this team has played under Billy Donovan and the fact that they're bringing him back too, it's like. I just don't really see how this gets much better. Like, I, I mean, do you think Duncan I, 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 be brought back? I, I don't think so. Like, okay. I, I think we've been giving him too many passes. I, you know, I, it seems like the, you know, after his first year with, with Durant, it was kind of like, well, we don't really know what Billy Donovan is because he, you know, he has two superstars, and uh, you know, it's kind of like they run the they run the show, so we're not really sure. And then, like the second year with Russ, it was kind of like, well, you know, Russ is a one man show right now, and like he's so good and he's the MVP. So like, it's kind of a, you know, it's a one man wrecking crew and, you know, you're kind of giving Billy a pass. Well, guess what? He brought in Paul, you know, they brought in Paul George, they brought in Mello and it was the same shit all over again. Like, I don't know if it was the I same. Don't... I think they played differently this year. Like it was better. I will give them credit. For it, it was better. better in the regular season, but I just yeah. felt like it devolved in, in the playoffs. And it's like, yeah. that that's what you're playing for. And they played horrible offense against the jazz for, for most of the series. And, and and you're right. Like I picked, you know, I'm I'm kind of pissed because I I picked the Thunder to win the series. Yeah. Um. And, and you know, I, I thought on paper, like even without Robertson, you know, Paul like Paul George got cooked by Donovan Mitchell. You know, like that. Yeah. That's uh, a rookie came into OKC and cooked Paul George. Uh. And, and like I don't know. I I just think for for me, like Paul George in theory is is the is the best compliment or, or one of the best possible compliments for Russell Westbrook. But I don't know from Paul George's perspective if Russell Westbrook is like the type of player he wants to play with. Um, I, I don't do know think if you don't. There's like a good guy to compliment Russell Westbrook's game. That's why we were so enthralled and captivated by a season last year. Is that? Yeah. I think I don't know if this is unfair or not, but I will say Westbrook is a lot more fun when it's him and a bunch of role players. It's infuriating to watch him play with like Paul George and, guy- and Kevin Durant and guys that we know are super talented or top 10 to 15 players that are being undervalued and underutilized next to him. And it's not an indictment on Russ. 
I guess, because this is who he's always been and this is who he's always going to be. And trying to change that at this point is probably not going to happen. But at the same time, why are these guys still joining up with him? Like, I want Russ for the rest of his career. And I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to have Weston Shepard of Daily Thunder on after this. And I'm going to ask about this. But is it wrong to want to see Westbrook by himself for the next three to five years before um, his cyborg status starts to dwindle a little bit? Like, I enjoyed him last year a lot more. I didn't think he was the MVP. I always thought that was a little ridiculous. And, you know, it's he's fun when he's just not being asked or not being expected to contend with the Warriors and it's never going to happen but that doesn't mean he can't be a really fun player to watch every year and I think we enjoyed him more because it was a Russ against the world thing it was the now I do what I want stuff like that was fun and I enjoyed it and it goes back to like why I got into Allen Iverson when I was a kid like he's the main reason I fell in love with basketball is Allen Iverson was playing with Eric Snow and Dikembe Mutombo and Aaron McKee and all these guys that were role players. But that's what made Allen Iverson so much more fun. Like he would have been significantly more irritating, I think, even though I was young when I was watching him, if he was playing with like, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of like who would be like a good three and D. Like it, I don't even like if he even teamed up with Kobe for a year or two, it would have been annoying and we wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. Like there's just something about a polarizing do-it-all superstar playing by himself and thinking it trying to take on an entire team by himself like that's way more interesting than and way more fun than just like having to pick him apart because we have to because you're playing with a top 10 to 15 player and when you do this all over again with Paul George the same thing that happened with Kevin Durant just on a smaller scale it's frustrating because this team should be better and unfortunately Westbrook has to change because Paul George is a better player than Russell Westbrook and I don't think that's even crazy to say at this point but that was the annoying part and that was always my worry when you bring in Paul George to OKC was that I don't think Westbrook sees himself as a number two next to Paul George even though that should have been the case so I don't know I hope Paul George leaves and I hope Melo is gone and I hope Westbrook gets back to um, what's entertaining, which is Westbrook by himself thinking that he can take on the entire league by himself because that's what's fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it just depends on what perspective you're taking with this, right? So if you're taking it from a purely fun entertainment perspective, I completely agree with you. Uh, I just think that, you know, Russ has been considered a top 10, if not top five player for a while. And, you know, obviously won MVP, uh, you know, last year. And I, I just think, you know, I, I think, and it's kind of a similar thing to, to, you know, it's funny you brought up Iverson because I think there's a lot of similarities there between the two players. Like, it's one thing to enjoy a player and, and kind of, you know, just relish in the, the you know, the uniqueness of them, the, the, the balls, the, the mystique, the, the balls to the, but also like the balls to the wall mentality that Russ has, where you know he's he's crashing the offensive glass, he's he's putting up triple doubles, he's, he's dunking on people, he's like running you know one on three fast breaks, like he just does crazy stuff that we've never really seen from 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 anyone really, but but also especially from a point guard, like you know in a lot of ways like Russ is Russ is almost like like LeBron kind of in in towards the end of his you know his Cleveland stint the first time where like just this athletic marvel who you had no idea how to stop except he's six foot three and not six foot eight. So I just think, you know, 
from from that perspective, like Russ is amazing to watch, and he still might be the, the single most you know entertaining player to watch, or at least like in that top three or four. I just think that my issue with with the whole thing with Russ is when you start to equate that into well, you know, uh, you know, he you can win. Like I like I personally don't think you can win with Russ as your best player. That, that yeah. like I you know I kind of was alluding to that er, a little bit earlier, but like that's my like if if your system is if your Russ is your best player and you have a system based on Russ and his tendencies and his style of play, you are not going to win. And and look like they, Paul George is a top twelve, top fifteen guy. Like Stephen Adams has become, I'd say like a top seven center, top six, like I, I don't know where he is exactly, but he, he's he's a really good player. Yeah, uh, Carmelo Anthony for his faults like can still in theory be like a good score and, and shooter. I think that's or gone. Like a, nope. Can't do it. Now I mean, maybe, maybe not. I think it's like, over. <laughs> I mean, Pour one out for Carmelo, but, but I think that's it. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I just think you, you like, so, so from that perspective, like you kind of have to just accept that and be like, this is Russ's limitations. And I, yeah, I think if you're OKC, like, I don't really know what the hell you do because you're, you're, you're kind of stuck with this guy now for another, like what four, I think it's four or five more years on his deal. Could um, you trade Westbrook? So, if Paul George the thing leaves, is, I don't know what, like, I, okay, I, I think if if Sam Presti was like Danny Ainge, I think you you think about it. I, I know yeah. Sam Presti has been cut throughout throughout his career, but I don't know if to that. Like, and the, the other issue, of course, that you know, OKC is a small market, one of the smallest markets in the league. Um, I'm sure their fans would still turn out with or without Russ, but I do think there there's always that element of just like having a star player, having an energetic personality like that you know, that does put butts in seats, that does drive revenue. Like, you know, the Thunder consistent. Like, I think he's still like a cold hero. He's the guy who stayed. And I don't think they really care that he plays this way and that it's detrimental to this team advancing ever to the Western Conference Finals or really competing with the Warriors or Rockets or whoever. Like, I think they just love the fact that he's been loyal. Like, I think that's enough for Westbrook to stay there as long as he wants. Yeah, no, and and I fully expect him to. Like, I think he's going to retire a, a Thunder player. That, do you know what I want? I, I think he's... I want to send him to Orlando. That's what I want to do. I want to send Russell Westbrook. You, you want to annex him from the NBA? No, I don't want to. Well, I mean, Orlando's a bit uh, a big market. I want to. Orlando has okay quietly been the worst team in basketball for the last five years. I don't know if people know that, but they have the worst record of in the NBA in the last five years. Send him there, no state income tax, go have fun, go make the magic fun again, because I don't want to watch another season of bad point guard play. Like that Shelvin Mack tweet of his 3.7 assists per game that the Magic sent out uh, a couple weeks ago, just unbelievably sad. So let's go ahead and send Westbrook there. There's no expectations that they're going to win. Um, the Eastern Conference's star, like they, it's a barren situation. There are no stars, and if LeBron goes west, just, oh man. Um, Let's send him there. No expectations. They can just be fun. He can average 40, 10, and 10 for the next three years, and the magic could be really fun, and that's what I want. No expectations, and uh, good weather for him. Just send him to Orlando. That's what we should do. Yeah, I, I, you, you you convinced me. I'm on board. I, I just think I just think with Russ, like, people have to kind of take your approach and, and adjust the expectations because I think too many people get caught up in the triple doubles and the flashy play. And, and to me, you know, not, not to really segue this to anything else, but like that kind of is, is the same thing for me w- with the Ben Simmons, do- <coughs> excuse me, 
uh, Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell argument. Mm. Because to me, Donovan Mitchell kind of has that West, you know, he has, he has that little bit. I mean, he said like Westbrook was his favorite player growing up. He tried to model his game after him. He plays a little bit like young Dwayne Wade. So the, you know, in in Wade, you know, Wade's a different beast than, than Westbrook. Like Wade, uh, I think was clearly a better player and is an yeah. all-time great and stuff. But um, I think it, you know, for me, it's as simple as this: look at Donovan Mitchell, look at Ben Simmons. Uh, what does Donovan Mitchell do better than Ben Simmons? Okay, he's, he's a probably was a better shooter. He actually makes the, the shot. <laughs> he actually takes shots outside and, of the ten feet. And, yeah. and, and free, you know, three point shooter, free throw shooter. Um, and I'd say he's, he's a bit more of a consistent, like kind of dangerous score, right? Cause like, I mean, Ben Simmons puts up better numbers than people think in scoring, especially in the playoffs. You know, he's been like right under 20 points a game, uh, which is actually closer to Mitchell than I think Mitchell's been at like 22, 23, somewhere around there. Um, but you know, I, I'd say Mitchell is the, is the, on a nightly basis, Mitchell is a more consistent scorer and he's a more dangerous threat to go for like 35, 40, like Simmons isn't really going to do that. Okay. But, but passing, you know, Ben Simmons is already a top 10, if not top five passer in the league. Mm -hmm. Uh, defensively, his, his defensive numbers are insane for a rookie and and just really anyone like a guard is already one of the best perimeter, like guard defenders in the league. If you put him as a forward, it it drops a little bit, but, um, you know, his, his guard, you know, defensive numbers against guards are insane. He can defend one through four. Mitchell's pretty much a one or two, uh, and then, you know, better rebounder just, just has this, just, I don't know. I mean, I know, I know Mitchell kind of has, has his own leadership qualities, but I think Simmons makes guys around him better. And, and Mitchell has more of a, I'm going to get mine. Like, you know, trust me guys, come on my back. I, or, well, I don't uh, think he has a choice. Like he's playing was, with Rubio, Angles, Gobert. Like, it's not like he's playing with an arsenal of offensive weapons like he's having to carry a ridiculous load just from a shooting perspective because Rubio is doing a lot of the Ben Simmons stuff for them where he's creating and finding Mitchell and all that kind of stuff but getting into fights with Westbrook and everything else but Mitchell is just the usage rate and just what he had to do in that series was insane like Marco Bellinelli does the same kind of stuff on the Sixers and I know that sounds kind of ridiculous but you have to watch the Sixers to understand like how Bellinelli contributes to them which is like fall away threes and the corner falling into the crowd and he'll hit them from time to time but he is the guy that is putting up the difficult shots that Mitchell is having to do for the jazz. I want to pose this question to you because I feel like the Mitchell versus Simmons stuff has been debated at nauseum at this point. But what I do think is more fascinating is we forget how important Gobert is to this jazz team. And I think they were like 27 and three or something with him back. Like it's a different team. Like they're just a behemoth when it's Mitchell and Gobert. So I want to ask you this. I don't think this is a crazy question to pose to you. If you had to build around two guys for the next five to 10 years, would it be Mitchell and Gobert or Simmons and Embiid? Because I would go Mitchell and Gobert and I wouldn't even feel that nervous about it. So you're keeping it between those two options or are you saying I thought the whole league? No, just those two options. Uh, I would go Embiid and Simmons. Okay. Um, I, now inherently there's a massive risk with yep. going with Embiid, which people forget. Um, like, I don't like the argument of like, oh, you need to take that out of the equation. No, you don't, because that is everything for the Sixers. Like, no, no, is I, everything. I, I agree. <laughs> we pretend I, I that just it's think not. Like, I think what Gobert, Gobert is already like 
I want to say like 25, 26. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I think he's around he's there. 25. Yeah. So he turns 26 25? next month. Yeah. Okay. So, so really like in theory, Gobert is at or, or about to be in his physical prime mm-hmm. and maybe his, you know, pe- guys tend to peak around like 28, 29. So he's got a, He's got a few, you know, probably a few more peak years, like very, very peak years. And then, he'll, you know, he's, he's not the most athletic guy. So I think he, he should age fine. Mm-hmm. But I mean, look, I, I do think there are actually some, con- some injury concerns with Gobert too. Yeah. Uh, just with the way, you know, we've seen him fall and, and guys kind of land into him and stuff. Like, I just think, being that tall, I mean, it's the same thing with Embiid, but like being that tall and, and actually being a little more frail for Gobert, that kind of scares me uh, for his long-term health. But I would just say like with Gobert, you kind of know, like I think he's gotten better offensively and more efficient. And I, I, I think he's more of a go-to scorer than, than people really credit him for. But I, I do kind of think with him, you kind of know what he's going to be. And like, I think he could still, he still has room for, for growth and improvement, but like, I feel like he's close to his peak. Uh, Mitchell, I think is going to get better. There's no doubt about that. And like, I think he's going to be probably at his peak, like a top 15 guy. Uh, I, I think he has his own limitations, but like Mitchell is going to be really, 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 really good. If not great. Uh, I just think for me, like the potential of, of a bean and Simmons is like either one could be a top five guy in the league and or eventually the best player in the league, I think, like, or, or right there with, like, Anthony Davis and Giannis. So, to me, it's like, like, there's a much, in my opinion, there's a much higher upside with Embiid and Simmons, but there's also, like, that downside where, like, Embiid's career, like, you know, knock on wood, can really end at any point, or, or he could just have major injuries. And then you're basically saying, like, Simmons versus Mitchell and Gobert, which, yeah, I think you take Mitchell and Gobert, so... I definitely see where you're coming from, and I don't think there's really a wrong answer here. That's why I, I think agree. Utah is in a great position long term. Uh, I just, for me, would would bet on like the higher upside, in my opinion, of Embiid and Simmons. That's fair, and I think they definitely do have the higher upside. I just think if I am if I have my crystal ball here and I'm looking into the future of who's more likely to have more playoff appearances and to still be playing at a high level in three to five years, I think it's Mitchell and Gobert. But we'll see. Um, I think both teams are in great shape, and I hope both guys are around. But I would rather have that debate and hear more people talk about that than just Simmons versus Mitchell. Because I think Gobert and Embiid are just as important to what happens with these two guys long term. And I'm just fascinated by where they go from here and what happens. But uh, I think either way, the Jazz and the Sixers are in uh, pretty good shape going forward. Um, The Knicks, because (laughs) the podcast needs to have some Knicks talk on it are apparently maybe possibly, of course, zoning in on David Fisdale. So I need to ask you, is David Fisdale the right guy to take over the Knicks? Oh, man. Knicks, Knicks, Knicks. Uh, I, I think that if David Fisdale can't make it work in New York, mm-hmm. that the Knicks are pretty much just like a helpless franchise and like a black pit of doom um well he's not gonna make it work like, in year one like chris yeah no, no out I mean, for you the first half like, they're gonna be terrible <laughs> i just don't know how they're, much they're gonna be bad this season but yeah yeah so so that's that's the issue I, I think you know i think new york as much as really as much as any team if not the most in, in the league is as desperate to be good 
uh, you know, as, as anyone, um, for how bad they've, they've really been for going on two decades now. Um, and, and, you know, with the New York media, with the way fans are like, they, they do have crazy high expectations every season. Mm-hmm. Like I, I love one of my favorite things to do when, when the, the Vegas lines come out for the, the over under win totals is just look at the Knicks win total. Cause it's always mm-hmm. higher than I think it should be. Like yeah. to me, if you if you want to make money on on like the over unders going to the season, always bet the Knicks under because it's I always think you and like I both did that. a few I games. Think we did over unders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's always a few games too high in my opinion. Like it, it mm-hmm. you know, because that's just how the Knicks fans are. So, uh, and I also think they secretly love when they underachieve because like there's some self deprecating like self loathing quality in Knicks fans. But that's a whole other thing. Uh, but so yeah, so like I think David Fisdale, look, I think he's he's the top, if not one of the top, like three coaching candidates right now. It's probably him, uh, Bud, and I guess like David Blatt. Uh, no, I don't really don't know who that. Who that I don't is. think that's gonna work. I think just how that all ended, like hiring Blatt would be so weird. And the only reason that that's seeming to be an option is because he went to Princeton with Steve Mills. So I mean, whatever, but. Yeah, I think it's... I mean, look, I, I still don't know how I feel about Blatt because, again, like he we didn't got a raw you know, deal. He, but... he went there to coach the like the the Ky, the young Kyrie Tristan Thompson Cavs. He didn't go there to coach LeBron, and yeah. as we've seen, you know, it, it's it's very difficult to kind of separate what comes from LeBron and what comes from the coach. And I just feel like I, I would love to see David like Blatt get a second chance and just kind of actually see like how good is this guy as a coach, you know, because you can't deny his international success and you don't want to base everything off of that and just be mm-hmm. like, you know, here, here's a second chance because of that. But at the same time, like I, I do think, you know, I'm sh- there has to be some type of cause. Now there's the, you know, we, we've heard the issues of his ego and kind of him, th- you know, that's some of that success translating to him having an inflated se- sense of self and that kind of rubbing certain people the wrong way. So maybe that's an issue, but, uh, I don't know who the third guy, like, cause it's, it's hard to rate someone like Jerry Stackhouse, Joan Howard, some of these people who haven't been given uh, a shot yet. You just don't. Yeah. Like you don't know how good those guys are going to be as coaches. So it's like, it's kind of hard to, to place them. Yeah. I don't think any of them are like a clear, like, you know, kind of Steve Kerr kind of had that hype of like, we think Steve Kerr is going to be a good coach. And like you had yeah. the Knicks and warriors fighting over him. I don't know if any of those guys have that hyper buzz, but I would say, like, you know, it's, it's probably Fizdale or Bud as the top coaching it candidate be on the Bud. market. Can I, just I think it should be for Bud a second too. about Bud? Like, he has the relationship with Tim Hardaway. People forget he traded a first-round pick to acquire Tim Hardaway from the Knicks a couple of years ago. He's obviously a big fan of him. Like, he's a good developer of talent. Like, he actually would be a much safer pick to me if I'm New York. Like, I don't know why they would – like, it's not a crazy take to say that I think Budenholzer is a much better coach than Fizdale. And I'd be much more comp- – like – I, don't, I was going to say comfortable, but I don't know if you should ever be comfortable if you're a Knicks fan about the head coaching <laughs> candidates. But but Boonosa should be the guy. Like I don't know how you sell Fizdale because of just the way it ended, and there was that awkward thing with Gasol, and that would worry me too. If I'm a Knicks fan because I mean uh, the whole stuff with Gasol. Like are we it, are we sure it wouldn't happen with Kristaps? Are we sure that he's just the right guy in New York? And um, I don't I don't know if I'm Fizdale. I still want the Bucks job, and I think coaching Giannis, especially with his past history with um, LeBron and Miami and everything else, like I would, that's where I think he should go. But I, I don't know. I don't know if he's gonna 
take that job or whatever, but Boonholzer should be the pick in New York. And it, I just, I don't know why the Knicks aren't zoning in on him because he has that history with at least one of their highest paid players. And you just know that he's going to win a lot of games because Boonholzer's already proved that he can win with less. Like he can win with even a kind of flawed roster. I mean, he won with his best player being either Al Horford or Paul Millsap, depending on how you felt about those two guys that year. But he can do it. And I think it would make a lot of sense to just go with Budenholzer, but I, d- I don't understand why you would take a risk on Fisdale. There's no risk with Budenholzer, I don't think. He's good. We know Mike Budenholzer is a good NBA head coach. I don't know if we know that about Fisdale yet, which is why I'd rather him go to a smaller market like Milwaukee. Um, and then, you know what? You're not going to believe this, Jovan, but the Mark Jackson, Doc Rivers, no, and God. Jeff Van Gundy stuff turned out to be bullshit. I was I was pounding this wooden desk when those reports first came out. It always happens with the big markets of like Doc Rivers. Might, Doc Rivers was never going to leave for that. The only job I could ever see Doc, and you're very familiar with the Clippers, so you can um, weigh in on this if I'm crazy, but I think the only job that he would leave for is Orlando, just go back home, right? Like no state income tax, and it's like his farewell tour. Um, but I, I just don't really get that and van gunny was never going to leave for the knicks and mark jackson's next coaching job is going to be at pepperdine not in the nba like this is ridiculous i i don't like any of it and i never bought it so fizdale feels like the ultimate knicks hire or mike woodson that would have been my bet a week ago just because that would have been so knicks and um, i'm not really a big fan of the mills perry uh two-headed monster running things now so we'll see but i feel like it's a fuck up if they don't go bootenholzer that's all i'll say well, I mean, you, you also have to factor in, which is, you know, I, I like to read between the lines on, on these types of things. Like, I wonder if A, Budenholzer is open to going to the Knicks, and, and B, maybe sure. this means that Budenholzer, like to me, the, the no-brainer, most, you know, coveted, best job on the market right now is Milwaukee. Like, you know, uh, you, you can debate, like, oh, well, Giannis is better than Porzingis, and I think he's going to continue to be better than Porzingis and has high, uh, higher upside. So, you, I mean, you could debate that. It's obviously the, the Knicks market, the Knicks cachet, Madison Square Garden, it's New York. Like, there's that factor. But And, and the Bucks, I think, have their own front office ownership questions and kind of what the hell's going on. But I would still say, like, to me, Milwaukee is a no-brainer. You're taking over a playoff team that's been underachieving, in my opinion. Uh, that should be better and you know with the right coaching i think could easily enter the the 50 win conversation next season yeah and potentially you know have have home court or, or be fighting for home court in, in the east so to me like i just wonder then maybe bud is you know the heavy favorite for the bucks job and maybe that's kind of like being worked out right now and we're gonna find that out within like the next week or something and then you know the fizdale because I also think there's there's that factor where like um, with, with Kerr you saw with like Kerr to the Warriors like the Knicks were kind of unsure what they were gonna do and they're you know they're like is it Kerr is it you know whatever so and then the Warriors kind of just pounced and were like hey like Steve here's the offer here's what we want I wonder if the Knicks are kind of just being more assertive with, with Fizdale where Bud is kind of taking his time more and may, maybe waiting out the Bucks job uh, number two thing Doc uh, I don't. I agree with you. Uh, I I don't think that that doc thing was ever real from like him leaving. I just do kind of still part of me is a little skeptical that doc will be back next season. 
Really? I would, you know, yeah. So to give the odds uh, or the percentages to go back to the beginning of the podcast, I'd still probably give them like a 60% chance to come back. Mm-hmm. But there is part of me that would not be surprised if the Clippers moved on uh, hmm. or Doc moved on just because I, I think like the writing like is Boone on the Holzer wall. Where it was a mutual uh, agreement to part ways where like Budenholzer wasn't fired in Atlanta. Like it was just clear that he wanted to get away from the rebuilding plan. And that's kind of what the Clippers are in. But then again, they re-signed Lou. Like it's a little bit more difficult, I think for Doc, right? Because he could, if he walks away, like, I don't know, I mean, you still have DJ and you still have a lot of talent. Like, it's not like they're blowing it up. So I, it's a little bit more difficult because the Hawks are going through a very awful long-term teardown, but I don't know what the Clippers are doing yet. Um, do you think Jerry West wants to move on or do you think this front office group that's now running things wants to move on from Doc or do you think they're comfortable as long as he wants to be there? Well, look, I mean, the, the, the team, and, and in retrospect, it, it ended up being the right move probably. Uh, but the team savagely moved on from Blake Griffin mm-hmm. and Blake Griffin to date is probably the most important Clipper, you know, organization member ever. Like you, you might be able to give it to Steve Ballmer only from saving the team from Donald Sterling. Mm-hmm. And then that's how poisonous and bad Donald Sterling was. But like, and Chris Paul obviously was the one who literally changed the Clippers from like, uh, you know, a lottery team to to a pseudo contender. Uh, so it was not Byron but, Mullins. <laughs> no, it was not, it was not Byron Mullins. Okay. Oh my god, don't make me remember those days. Uh, but 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 like they moved on from the guy who you know Clipper for life. You know, we, we don't have to rehash all that. But like you know, most important Clipper, Clipper for life, five year max, uh, one of the biggest contracts in NBA history, and they moved on with him within a few months. Uh, so so to me like. Anything is like anything's on the table with this team. They will do anything. I think the Lou Williams more time. I was really confused by it. I was like, you know, what the hell are they doing? I, I, as more time has passed, like to me, it, it's just kind of one of those things where, you know, that was almost such a good deal. Like Lou Williams on an annual value of eight million a year. Like to me, that's a no-brainer. Even if you are kind of a rebuilding team, because like for as good as Lou was this season, uh, a part of me wonders like some of it was like a little bit lightning in a bottle where like you don't really see a guy have a career year in year 13 unless it's LeBron. Um, so I don't know how replicable that's going to be next season. And then B like two, I, I just don't know how, how, you know, Lou Williams is your best player or like go to offensive player. Like it's nice, but like the Clippers did have other guy, you know, Tobias Harris, still a D- DJ might be gone next year. Like yeah. it depends if he opts in or not. Um, and, and really with the, with the way <laughs> his, with the way his, his, you know, I don't think anyone really talked about this. DJ looked overweight for most of the season. He he was he looked out of shape. He was not as athletic as he's normally been. Uh, he he didn't have as many like crazy alley oop dunks as, as he normally does. Like DJ kind of looked checked out for most of the season. Um, and I, I hate to say that I, I love DJ. He's, you know, he's one of my favorite players in the league. I love watching him, but but he, DJ did not have a great season. And it was kind of weird because he still he still put up numbers, but like. I'd be watching and I'd just be like, how many, re- like, it seems like DJ has like eight boards and I look up, he has like 14, but I'm still like, it doesn't seem like he's really impacting the game around the rim the way he, mm-hmm. he normally does. So um, for, for, for me, like, I, I'm kind of like the Clippers, I think they're rebuilding. Like, you know, they have, they're probably going to have the number 12 and 13 picks uh, in the lottery. 
Uh, they don't really have a clear franchise player uh, go-to guy moving forward unless it's maybe Tobias, but he's probably like a more number three or four guy. So, so to me, I don't think Doc really, like Doc left Boston because he didn't want to rebuild, right? Yeah. So I don't think he's gonna want. I mean, now LA, you know, you could say maybe the, the better city than Boston, better weather, like so maybe there, there's some advantages to him staying in LA, and he did kind of want to change the Clippers culture, so maybe he wants to see that through fully. Uh, through a rebuild but to me it would make sense if, if you know maybe doc takes a, a season off and, and then he goes to orlando or, or somewhere else i, I don't know because we all know like orlando is probably going to have a, a you know their next coach for a year or two like it's 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 not going to be a long like with the way well, i don't know about that because team. they got um new uh they have uh john hammond and uh the other guy from the raptors i can't remember waltman weltman i think it's weltman yeah um, so we don't really know, but they were loyal to Dwayne Casey and he's been there for years now in Toronto. So I, I don't know. We, it's still kind of early to wonder about what's going to go, but I think they're eventually going to hire Stackhouse. I think Stackhouse is going to be the guy in Orlando. And if you go with the developmental coach like that, um, because of his success in the D- G league, um, I think there's a possibility he'll be there for a while, but for doc, this is a good lead into the last thing I want to talk about. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, go ahead. Um, we have, I, I I don't think you've seen this yet because uh, uh, I, I think it would have been brought up, but uh, breaking news on the pod. Uh, the Suns have hired ja- uh, jazz assistant Igor Kokosko. Oh, wow. Um, and he is the first non-North American-born coach in NBA history. Really? So that that's some breaking news. Um, Igor. Yeah. Is he the yeah, first I coach mean, named wh- Igor? In the NBA, something tells me. He well, so. <laughs> well, what, what's funny is I was gonna, I was gonna, the third thing I was gonna say on that little coaching rant was just gonna be how much of a joke it is that the Suns were interviewing Vinny Del Negro potentially, uh, and looks like they they, they hired their guy. Um, yeah, Kokoskov is uh, he, he's Serbian, so he, he's my dude. I was gonna say I'm, you uh, are Serbian. Okay, there you yeah, go. So, uh, so you are now a Suns fan. He coaches the Slovenian team, though. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm officially a Suns fan. Well, that's cool. That's, I mean, that should be fun. Um, okay, well, that's kind of cool. I like when teams don't go with the retreads. So good for him. Maybe he'll uh, be good there. Maybe Ryan McDonough, his 17th head coaching decision before he gets fired himself, um, will be the one that clicks. How many coaches does this guy get to hire? Uh, it looks like. <laughs> I mean, because I, you I, had Triano, like, you had Earl Watson. Did he? And I think he fired Jeff Hornacek. Like, there's how many? Just unbelievable. Uh, Ryan McDonough. Like you, you, you said Orlando's been the worst team over the last five years, which which they factually have been. But I I think Phoenix also gives them a run for their money. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the the Knicks are up there. Like, well, I mean, the Knicks had the the mellow the one mellow year. So, but but still, it's like. I mean, I put the Kings there too. Like those three teams, the Kings, Suns, and Magic, like they're just so dysfunctional. And yeah. the coaching turnover, the front office turnover, the inability to to develop young players. Like, how bad does Orlando feel right now about how what Victor Oladipo has become? Like, yeah, uh, he would be a great play- like imagine Victor that Victor Oladipo in Orlando right now with, with Aaron Gordon and, and Vucevic, like. Uh, that would be a potential playoff team, uh, if not a playoff team. Uh, so, yeah, like it, it. But the Suns, especially, like with the way I mean, 
Devin Booker aside, they've been a, a mess over the last few years with the, with their drafting. Speaking and, of Booker, and the way though, this is things. a good this is a good pick for Booker, right? Because he's coming from the Jazz and this and Igor. We don't really know specifically how much he played a role in Donovan Mitchell's development, but um, the Suns kind of have a Jazz backcourt situation with Alfred Payton, who can't shoot, Ricky Rubio can't shoot, good defenders, good passers, and then you have them playing next to a an elite scorer at a young age in Booker and Mitchell. So um, I like this hire. I, I mean, I don't because of the Suns and believing in anything with the Suns right now is pretty foolish, but um, I like it. I hope this works. Yeah. And, and, and um, you know, Igor has coached internationally. He's coached the, the Sylvanian team mm-hmm. uh, recently. So he was coaching Luka Doncic, uh, Goran Dragic. And they could so, draft Luka. Yeah. You know, and, and and that team remember that team won Euro uh, the, the Eurobasket. So how could I forget? You know, he had he had, but he, but it'd be like basically he's shown re- in, recently that you know he he can coach a team well. I don't think that was the most talented uh, of the European team, despite having Dragic and, and Doncic on the on the team. So uh, you know to me like I think it's a it's a good hire. It's a, it's a nice risk to take, um, and, and it's dope that it's it's really the first international head coach uh, in NBA history. That's cool. That is cool. Um, last thing I wanted to touch on before we go. So your other colleagues, Ramona Shelburne, Michael Wright, dropped a big piece on Kawhi Leonard. And this is kind of why I was tying it in with the Clippers is th- like they're going to be involved in the Kawhi stuff. And we have CJ McCollum now today saying that he it's highly unlikely that Leonard's back with the Spurs next year. The Clippers are in that conversation, and especially if LeBron and Paul George are planning to go to L.A., the Lakers, I should say, the Clippers are right there for Leonard. And um, I think that would entice Doc Rivers to stay in Clipperland. Uh, what do you think? I think uh, Kawhi Leonard's enough to be like, all right, I'll stay. Yeah, I mean, you you would hope so. Um, yeah, I think the Kawhi situation is, is really interesting, like, um, I just spoke about it uh, on a pod yesterday. So, this, you know, I've, I've really been thinking a lot about it lately. So, so I'm kind of happy to put my thoughts out there on it. Um, I'm actually on Kawhi's side with all of this. Uh, I, I think he had a quote in that piece that that was really interesting where he basically said, you know, the Spurs have been around, you know, this version of the Spurs have, have really been around for, for almost 20 years now. I've only been a Spur for six years. Like, who do you think people are going to believe? And I, I think we've we've kind of seen that. Like you, you've seen a lot of Kawhi backlash in, in the media. A lot of people uh, criticizing him for for not being around the team. Yeah. For going to outside, um, you know, outside doctors and, and and sources for medical opinions. And you you know you, you've seen people really questioning how good you know how good is he? How good is he going to be when he comes back and all this stuff? And I think that that's fair to an extent. Uh, that that last part, but I do think like at the end of the day, if a player doesn't feel ready to come back, whether that is a mental thing uh, and maybe it's some mental hurdle he's dealing with, or or it literally is a physical thing where he doesn't feel ready, like I don't think that you know should should really. I, I just I take the player's side in in that instance, and like you can't force Kawhi Leonard to be to to come back, and if if the Spurs have, have cleared him and he doesn't feel ready then he's not ready. And, and I don't think that should be, I just don't like how, and look, I love pop. And uh, I think he, I, 
look, uh, I've never said this before publicly. I think Pop's the greatest coach of all time. And I don't even know if that's like a crazy thing to say at this point, but he's definitely the, the, the best coach in the league right now. Uh, the best probably modern coach, but like, I think he's a be- better coach than Phil Jackson. I think, uh, you know, the way he, he's adapted his system so many times uh, really just speaks to his, just how much of a genius he is that he could coach so many different ways. But I love Pop. I love his political stuff and, and I think he's great, but I don't like the way he's thrown, he's publicly thrown Kawhi under the bus and saying like, you know, ask his group and like re- referencing his group multiple times. Like to me, it's a little childish and, and just not the way, you know, you expect the Spurs to operate. So to me, I, I'm on Kawhi's side uh, in this matter. Like I, I just think the Spurs have, have really handled the situation questionably. And I've really been surprised and shocked with a lot of the things that they've said and done. Um, I, I do wonder how much of it is a mental thing for Kawhi and then how much the people around him are, are potentially affecting that and kind of putting stuff in his head. But at the end of the day, I, I think Kawhi, we've seen this guy comes back better every season. He's a very competitive guy. He, he loves basketball. I don't think he'd be sitting out if it was merely a mental thing. Um, and, and I, you know, I'd, I'd like to give him that benefit of the doubt. I think he's earned it. So, so to me, like, I, I just, I, I'm starting like with every day that passes, I do question is Kawhi going to be here next season? Is Kawhi going to be here long-term? And I, I look, like you said, I, I think the Clippers make some sense. I, I think they, they do have they make a lot of sense, teams. man. Like, especially the Lakers some... are like, it seems like the LeBron Paul George, the Lakerland seems pretty likely at this point. And like, if Kawhi can't partner up with LeBron in like Cleveland or something, like, I don't know where else makes sense for him. And if he wants to go to a big market, like if you're going to leave the Spurs, you leave for a big market. And if his people are pushing him towards the Knicks, then he needs to reassess his inner circle because regardless of kp being there it's just a bad idea like that we we have a 20 plus year track record now that james dolan era nicks like it would be very stupid for Kawhi leonard to force himself out of san antonio to new york but what it would not be stupid for him to do is to force himself to or to force his way to los angeles to join up with jerry west doc rivers and a bunch of other really smart, talented people in an organization that is committed to winning because Steve Ballmer is going to spend and everything else, it actually makes a lot of sense. Like I think they should be considered the best option if he wants to leave um, the Spurs. I that's that's where I'm at. I think it makes a lot of sense. And man, L.A. Can you imagine if we get LeBron, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George in L.A. this summer? Incredible. I. It's an NBA would, dream, right? Would. Like. Like yeah. Dave, uh, I was about to say David Stern. Adam Silver is dying for this to happen, right? Like he just the ratings alone of just having Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James and Paul George in the LA market for at least one to like three to five years, whatever. Like incredible. Yeah, like I, I think for me, you, you saw it. Um, you know, at Clipper games this year, where. You know, I started covering them. Uh, like the first Clippers thing I covered was the draft, uh, the you know the, the summer heading into the lockout. So right before they did the Chris Paul trade, but but really, you know, I, I covered them mainly that first, you know, starting that first season when they got Chris Paul. So uh, you know, I've only really known the Clippers having Chris Paul, having Blake Griffin. This was the first year they didn't have Chris Paul, obviously, and then they traded Blake, and like you could just see the media you know, already like the, the media numbers dwindled. Um, there's less, you know, there's 
less national interest in the team, but especially less local interest in the team. And I always thought that was interesting. Like to begin with, even at their peak, like the, the Clippers had some local interest the first like two, three years, but kind of following that Houston series, I feel like no one, you know, really cared the, those last two years of the Blake uh, and Chris uh, partnership. So to me, like seeing that, I'm kind of like, really like this team is only going to be relevant in the LA market if they get another star and they become good again. So I think Kawhi would satisfy that. Now, if LeBron and Paul George go to the Lakers, that's going to completely dwarf Kawhi and, and make the Lakers. I think, it, I mean, look like LeBron, uh, you know, we just got some, uh, I don't want to break news here, but like we, we got some internal data today in an email uh, about, you know, an ESPN poll where, where you know fan, fan, NBA fans vote on their favorite player and their favorite teams, and favorite player LeBron James, third mm-hmm. favorite team in the league, Cleveland Cavaliers. I don't think the Cleveland Cavaliers would be the third favorite team in the NBA if LeBron James is not on that team. So I would agree. And we just we you know they they just announced all the the Nielsen ratings and uh, you know the the Cavs Pacers uh, first round you know game seven was the most viewed first round game since two thousand four when it was Lakers Rockets. And that was, remember the super team Lakers with Malone well, that's the and Peyton. classic DeMontis um, this bump that, uh, <laughs> that's what I would say. But, but, but then, you know, and, and Cavs Pacers was the, was the most viewed first round um, series by over like, you know, 1.0. So, you know, which is over a million people. So uh, basically people care a lot about LeBron James. So like if Paul George came to the Lakers, I, I think that would, increase you know interest around them and, and make them a better team and, and stuff i don't think it would have the same impact clearly but if lebron comes like all bets are off like the lakers the lakers are, are probably the, the number one show in the league if not number two behind golden state and uh and, and yeah i think that's going to dwarf anything that because Kawhi also doesn't talk so that, that's kind of the problem with Kawhi. is like for as good as he is he could be the third best player in the league he just he's not going to say anything he, he doesn't really make headlines so um yeah, but look, I, I hope that happens for my sake, uh, my selfish sake. Uh, that, that would be a great summer for L.A. Yo, Von Bua, thank you for taking the time as always. I appreciate it, my man. All right. Is there anything we should look out for? Any more big? I mean, you've broken all kinds of news in this podcast. Is there anything else? We're recording this on a Wednesday night. Is there anything else we should look out for on ESPN NBA? Uh, for me, I, I started this thing a couple of weeks ago where basically I recap the social moments of the week because I think Right now, the NBA, I mean, the NBA dominates culture, uh, but but really, I think it dominates social media. And I think so many things happen during the course of like a game night or or during the co- course of like an off day that it's kind of hard to keep track of everything. So my goal, kind of with what I've been doing, is like to create kind of like a weekly recap of like the different social moments of the week, so people can kind of look at different memes or, or different funny things that happen different beefs that that started on twitter or instagram or whatever so that's kind of what i've been working on lately and um yeah so that should be coming out on saturday uh but besides that just just follow me on uh on the social platforms at yovan buha and uh that, that's about it all right yovan always a pleasure let's talk again soon sounds good man All right, Weston Shepard is here of DailyThunder.com, the great Oklahoma City Thunder site that I've been reading 
for years and years, which is kind of crazy because I remember the old layout and all of that dating back to the Royce Young days. But uh, Weston, how are you? I'm doing well, all things considered. How are you? <laughs> all things considered. Um, so a little down in Oklahoma City uh, territory these days, I guess. Yeah, you know what? Uh, the season's over a little bit earlier than we anticipated and uh, starting to get some tornadoes tonight. So um, you know how things go. It's Oklahoma. When, okay, well, I didn't know about the tornadoes, so now I'm kind of worried. Um, you can, I give you permission to leave this podcast and take cover, uh, if necessary, because <laughs> it's not worth dying for my podcast. Well, you know what? I'll hold out as long as I possibly can. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, so there was a Sam Presti press conference. Um, was it today or yesterday? I think it was today. Yeah, it was this morning. And, you know, his comments I thought were interesting, but I want to get your thoughts on it first. What did you make of his uh, press conference and some of the answers he had to some difficult questions, you know, surrounding about Paul George and Westbrook and Mello and stuff like that? Uh, you know, I thought he was a little bit more forthright than what we've seen from him in the past. I think he answered uh, everything pretty truthfully, but there's also a degree at which, you know, the GMs are generally saying the same things uh, whenever they do these. Um, unless you won a championship, the season was a disappointment and you're hoping to bring everybody back. So uh, there wasn't a ton of surprises, but I think that uh, just sort of the, the way that he discussed Paul George and Mello specifically was really interesting. You know, the mellow stuff is so weird because he's not making it any easier on himself with some of his answers to especially the bench stuff. And I understand like when you're a player like mellow, it's always going to be difficult to go down that road. I mean, Dwayne Wade didn't really enjoy it. Um, it's just a tough thing, but are you, where are you at with Melo? Do you think he deserved as much criticism as he got in the playoff series against the Jazz? Or do you think it was a hodgepodge of things? Um, I I just go back to just how good this five-man starting unit was with Andre Robertson. Like the Westbrook, Robertson, Melo, George, Adams lineup just destroyed teams. And they played over 500 minutes together. And it worked. Like they were just outscoring teams at a high rate. And... My thoughts are, I just think if you had Andre Robertson in that series over Corey Brewer, and Corey Brewer did a really good job, but it just, he's not, <laughs> he's not Robertson. It's right. just not. But if you had Robertson on Donovan Mitchell for the most of that series, like, I still think that Thunder win. Um, I don't think they're contenders like Stephen A. Smith, who had them as the clear cut number two team in the West before <laughs> right. the season, but I did think they were at least in good position. And, and honestly, um, I would have been more interested in seeing a healthy Robertson and this Thunder team advanced to face the Rockets in the second round just because Westbrook and Harden round two would have been really fun. But uh, we didn't get that. Um, do you think it's fair to say that Robertson's absence um, kind of was a bigger factor than I think a lot of people realized? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like you mentioned, the the, the team was performing extremely well uh, when Robertson was healthy and um, he went down after 39 games. So, um, it, it really just upended the entire thing, and, and Presty mentioned it today in his in his press conference that the team had really started to gel and, and play well, and then he was really disappointed that they were never able to figure out how to recover from that. And, and, and Dre is one of those guys that he's an awful shooter, uh, can't make a free throw to save his life, so he, he gets a lot of criticism from fans and, and the media. Uh, I think this season really proved his value. I mean, this is a defensive player of the year, caliber player, first team, all defense caliber player. 
And uh, even for all the talent that the Thunder had, they were just never the same after he went down. So I, I do think that the that the playoffs go a little bit differently had he been out there, especially like you said on Donovan Mitchell, and then moving forward if if you get past Utah. Um, he's he's proven to be pretty effective on James Harden. I think that would have been the series that a lot of people wanted to see, but um, that's just how it goes. Those are the breaks, and and hopefully he's back next season healthy, and uh, I would love to see Paul George alongside him, so maybe we can get a full season of that, but um, we'll have to see. But I think in the short term here, I, I think people have to have a greater appreciation for for what Andre Robertson does for the Thunder on a regular basis. Do you think Presti gave uh, – do you think he tipped his hand a little bit about where he thinks the summer is going for the Thunder? Do you – like, do you think he expects Paul George to leave or where do you think he's at with Paul George? I, I don't know. I mean, he said a lot of things that, that make you think that that George will be back or that he believes George will be back. But um, I, I wrote a little bit about it on Daily Thunder today. It's It was pretty much a carbon copy of what he said – after the 2015-16 season in regard to Kevin Durant. So I think that it would have been strange had he come out and just been like, oh, he's gone. Yeah, we lost Paul. I think that he's naturally going to to be positive and have a, a positive outlook toward that. But I don't think he really knows. And, you know, we just had the Ryan Russillo uh, report yesterday saying Paul George is gone. I think we're going to pick up a lot of those here um, on the way to July. And, um, Did I, you not buy that? I, you know, I don't know. It was just kind of a strange platform for that to be coming from. I, I don't think it's surprising. And if Paul George is gone, that's not the most surprising thing um, that that will ever happen. I, I'm kind of in the boat where I don't think this went well enough for him to to come back. But um, I just didn't really expect it from that source. So I, I'll wait on a on a tweet from from somebody that uh, I, I trust a little bit more but it's it's definitely interesting will fans be really upset if paul george leaves or do you think there'll be more understanding about why he leaves for like la or wherever you know what i i think had the kevin durant thing never happened i, I think they would be really upset at this point i i feel like we as a collective fan base are just pretty much prepared for anything uh, we've had our, our heart broken um, collectively. So at this point, it's uh, there's genuine hope that he comes back. I think that there are a whole lot of questions about the long-term um, health of the franchise, You know, at least with the pieces that exist now, um, what that would look like if he doesn't come back. So I think should he leave, there's going to be disappointment just from a, are we going to have to blow this thing up uh, standpoint. But I think as far as uh, taking it personally is concerned. I, I don't really think so. I, I think that everyone gets it, and especially after KD, everyone kind of understands that this is part of it. What would you put the odds out of Melo opting into that twenty-eight million? Oh, I'm like ninety-eight percent sure. I, I <laughs> you know, I, I don't think he's happy, and um, I don't think the Thunder is happy with Melo either. But it's $28 million. I think that, you know, he's probably worth a mid-level exception if, if he hits the open market. So um, he might not be happy, but I don't think he's crazy. And I think he'll he'll take that money and um, we'll see him back in Oklahoma City next season. Which would be so weird because, it, like, if Paul George leaves and Melo still opts in, we don't really know what order these events are going to uh, fall in, but that would be odd like i just don't see Melo. even if he 
opts into 28 million. Like if Paul George leaves, I don't see him signing up for another year in OKC, you know, like, I, but then again, it's going to be so difficult to move him if he opts into 28 million or do you do the stretch provision or whatever, but it's going to be weird. It's going to be a very, very strange summer in Oklahoma city, no matter what. Right. Oh, no doubt. And you know, if, if Paul George leaves, I mean, I'm still assuming Melo is back at 28 million. The cap situation is totally hamstrung and uh, really not enough funds to go get help. So, uh, you know, if if George leaves and Melo comes back, I think we're looking at a, a full season of uh, Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony hero ball, just a ton of uh, pump fakes and jab steps and mid-range jumpers. So uh, that that would definitely be an interesting thing to watch. Is the fan base growing tired of Russell Westbrook's style of play or no? Oh, no. You have to understand something. Like Kevin left and Russ has, you know, re-upped his, his deal twice now. So mm-hmm. at this point, I think he is he could run for governor and win in a landslide. <laughs> I, I think that uh, he so and his family. Thing. Like he can literally do whatever. Like he could run this team into the ground. And the fact that he stayed twice when he didn't have to is enough. Yeah, I mean, okay. you know, there's a lot of people that would prefer him to play differently, but I think mm-hmm. by and large, just the fan base is so loyal to Russell Westbrook because um, th- there's that sort of feeling that that loyalty is reciprocated. And that's, you know, you have to understand that, that Russ is here for five more years, but he's also being paid the richest contract in the history of the NBA. So, you know, I don't want to make him sound like too much of a hero, but he um he can get away with whatever he wants here. Okay, so I have a take, and I don't know if this is a blistering take or a cool take or where, wherever it is, but I talked with Yovan about this earlier. I enjoyed Russell Westbrook a lot more two years ago. I enjoyed the now I do what I want stuff. Like, it was just fun. Like, for whatever reason, I think Westbrook and it kind of, it's, I don't think it's lazy to compare him to Iverson in the late 90s and early 2000s, but I will say he's a lot more fun when he's not playing with other superstars because we get frustrated, I think, more with Westbrook because of the way he plays and it's not being an inclusive style of basketball that's ever going to really benefit a top 10 to 15 player. Like, I don't want to see LeBron or Kawhi or Durant or any of these guys play next to Westbrook, but that doesn't mean I don't like Russell Westbrook. What it means is that he's one of those unique guys that I enjoyed watching by himself. It's kind of like Harden to some extent. It's kind of like Wade when he was in Miami. Like, there is something about guys like him who are that polarizing but that electric that are just a lot more fun when it's a me against the world situation that's why it was so cool when he hit that game winner um against the nuggets two years ago like there's just something about westbrook that's a lot more interesting when he's by himself and playing on a non-contender but if you're a fan of the team you want them to contend you want them to trade for paul george you want them to acquire mellow you want them to go for championships but I don't think you can ever win a championship with Russell Westbrook as your best player. So there's all these different issues that you run into with this stuff. But at the same time, I still love Russell Westbrook and I still think he's a really fun player to watch. But I I just, I don't think I, I want to see him play with any more superstars. I want him to kind of be at the seven, eight seed range in the West for the next like three to five years and just putting up ridiculous numbers and just being really fun. That's what I want. That's the Westbrook that's fun. And if you're OKC, I think, that might be the best case scenario if Paul George leaves. Yeah, you know, I, I don't want to agree about, you know, wanting Russ in the seven or eight seed. You know, for m- me being a fan's sake, obviously I hope that things turn out better than that. But uh, it's hard to, to disagree that, that things are more entertaining when 
it's Russ against the world. His 42 triple doubles a couple seasons ago, it was it was a lot more fun than yep. what we had this season. It, and, and, you know, I don't think that's a hot take at all to say that. it's It, it just is what it is. It, and I think part of the problem with Russ is he's always in it's me against the world mode, even when he has uh, superstar teammates. So it, it's interesting, and he didn't do anything in the postseason or, or really this season at all to to kind of squash that conversation of, well, can you win with Russ as your best player? I still think that you can just because he's this transcendent nonstop player, but he's, he's got his flaws and uh, that mentality is, um, you know, we'll be debating that forever. I think. I think it depends on what you qualify as winning. Like it's already hard enough to win an NBA title. Right. And something really bad has to happen for Golden State to fall off or Houston to fall off or some of these other teams and who knows what happens with Kawhi this summer like that's going to be crazy we have McCollum coming out saying it's highly unlikely that he returns to San Antonio so wherever he goes is going to be a huge power shift um, for that team in that conference so we'll see what happens there and then if LeBron goes to the Lakers with Paul George well they're going to be competing for titles for the next couple years like it's just I, I don't know I don't think there's a path no matter what for Westbrook to get a title no KC and I don't it's so hard because the NBA is just different where the best team, generally speaking, always wins. Right. And if you lose Paul George this summer and the Thunder kind of in that press conference have talked about where it's like they're not gonna overspend if it's just Westbrook again and there's no Paul George and there's no Melo and that kind of stuff. Like it's gonna feel more like a small market team that's trying to make things work with a bunch of role players around um Westbrook. But 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 to be fair, Steven Adams is better than a role player. Like he's a really good player. He's an amazing pick setter. Um great hair. Fantastic uh, great, hair. Fantastic hair. But um yeah, I don't I don't really know. But I do think people will change their t- I, well, then again, I don't know. I've gone so back and forth. This is Russell Westbrook in a nutshell. I've gone back and forth in this twenty minute podcast <laughs> <Right>. about <laughs> what I want to see happen with him. But um I don't know, man. Like it's just it's tough, but I think no matter what, and uh, I'm sorry, Thunder fans, I know you're listening to this, but I just don't think there's an avenue for them to win a title with Russell Westbrook as your best player. But if you can overlook that and you can just appreciate kind of the stuff that we've talked about with the loyalty factor and everything else, I think it can still be a really memorable thing and like a just a building block situation for the post-Westbrook era um, if he does um, hand the reins off to someone else and then three to five years depending on what happens with this cyborg body right um we'll, we'll see but uh i don't know do you do you worry about that and the way he's going to age because i think we've kind of gone away from that because he hasn't gotten injured in a couple of years knock on wood right but he does seem to have a style of play that's not going to be the best aging wise yeah and uh sam Presti today said that russ is going to spend time this offseason Working on his three-point shot. I mean, he shot 29% this year, like five per- yeah, five percentage points worse than uh, the season before. So I think in order for his, his game and his contract to age well, he has to become a better shooter. I mean, that's just the way it works. This nuclear athleticism doesn't last forever. I, I think it's incredible that, you know, after 10 years and um, as he's approaching age 30, that it doesn't seem to have dropped off much at all. Uh, so, like, to your point, it's kind of this cyborg body situation. But, um, you know, over the longevity of this deal, I mean, he's going to be 33, 34, 35, somewhere in that range whenever the contract is done. So 
um, in order for that to age well, and especially when you start paying him 40 plus million dollars a year, you're going to really need him to be a better shooter. And I, I think there's historical comps of, of you know, players that kind of settled in. I think Vince Carter's a, a great, I mean, obviously they play different positions, but a guy that took his athleticism and, and molded that into somebody that could really be a knockdown shooter. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know if, if Russ um, is going to do that or not. It, to this point, it, it hasn't happened. But in order for um, for the team and, and himself to, to get the most out of uh, that contract, it's, it's what he has to do. What do you think Sam Presti does if Paul George leaves this offseason and Melo opts in? What do you think his next course of action is? I don't know. I, I don't really think he has a ton of options uh, unless uh, unless they can reach a buyout on Melo, then he's kind of stuck. I, I think that if Paul George leaves, Jeremy Grant is definitely back and he can start to kind of try to position himself for something um, the following season once Melo's off the books. But that's kind of the situation right now. When you're paying Russ what okay, you're this paying is getting him. too sad. You just transitioned from Paul George to increasing the role of Jeremy Grant. And I like Jeremy Grant as a role player, but oh my God. Right. Yeah. But, I, but you know, he's, he's a free agent. So I, I, yeah. I think the money situation, if Paul George does come back, I don't, I don't know if you see Jeremy Grant back in Oklahoma city. Um, so I, I think if Paul George leaves, you're bringing Grant back and then you're just kind of taking that one season's worth of medicine of mellow and then ridding yourself of that contract and, and trying to, to transition into whatever comes next after that. Should Billy Donovan be on the hot seat? I think so. Um, I don't. I don't. I think he's just. Um, he's a presty guy. So I, I, a lot of people thought he should be fired after what happened this season. I, I never really thought that was a possibility. I mean, uh, he's entering season four of a five-year deal with the Which team. Kind of crazy. It's been that long. It is. It is. And and the team has an option on him after next season. So I, I think so. Um, I think they'll let that play out. And um, to this point, I, I really don't see any signs of him being pushed out early yeah and i mean there's a lot of teams making um big head coaching decisions this offseason so this is probably not the one to make a head coaching change i don't think because i mean he was still good and he's still winning a lot of games and it's not dysfunctional and it i mean there's still the late game stuff but i don't know Dwayne casey just is probably gonna win coach of the year and um they have the same sort of late game problems and all that kind of stuff so i i don't know i think billy donovan's a good head coach and i think he's he deserves to ride it out with Presty. And if Billy Donovan goes, I think Presty should probably go at some point too. How long has Presty been there now? Because he was, what, did he get promoted like the last year in Seattle? Right, yeah. Yeah, so been, he, yeah. Was, uh, he was the one that uh, shipped Ray Allen off to Boston. So, I mean, yes. he, he um, had a little bit of control there in that last season in Seattle. And then um, he's been here the entire time. And, and there's been a lot of winning. So um, it, it's hard to point at his body of work and be too upset when you look at how much uh, the team has won but obviously this is a we're reaching that point where the window's closing and there's really no well we'll get them next year I mean this stuff has to happen now Um, but I I do think if this thing kind of fizzles out George leaves and then you know who knows what happens with Mello and what the team looks like next season you know, I, I think we could be starting that march toward just this um, organizational realignment, but um, we'll see how that goes. I, he's a really popular guy here, and I think the ownership loves him. So uh, everybody here seems to be uh, on pretty solid footing, regardless of what uh, anyone on the outside seems to think. Do you think he's ever going to stick to one pair of glasses, 
or do you think it's just going to be a heavy rotation for the remainder of his general manager career? Oh, no, he's got 365 pair, and he just shifts um, each day. What is your personal favorite? Uh, I like the clear ones. Yeah, you know what? I like the clear ones. I've seen a pair of uh, red frames that I thought was uh, Mm -hmm. very Westbrookonian. So, um, you know, he's (laughs) he's a stylish guy. And um, you should look up his time in Seattle and and, uh, notice how his hair has evolved. Um, he's clearly been taking cues from Nick Collison. Nick Collison. Oh my God. What a guy. Nick Collison. The Kevin Durant whisperer. Um, yeah, man. Well, this has been fun. I, I feel bad because it was just the thunder season did not go the way many of us thought. And I will say, I thought they were like the number three team in the West before the year. They were slightly below the Rockets and the Warriors, but I could see them competing with the Spurs and the Wolves and teams like that but it didn't happen and i i don't know the sam presti has done a lot right and i think he's a good general manager and he's whiffed on some things but no general manager is perfect and i think the paul george trade even if he does leave was worth it and i think they experimented something they tried it and acquiring more superstars i think is never a bad strategy in the nba no. and uh i don't know i i i'm gonna be really intrigued about what the thunder Sam Presti in this organization does this summer. But um, the yeah. last thing before we go, and uh, then we'll go, um, I'm going to make you do a prediction. I don't know if you're a big prediction guy, but I'm going to quickly go through these. Paul George, is he on the Thunder next year, yes or no? No. No. Carmelo Anthony, yes or no? Yes. Okay. There you go. Um, <laughs> I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> I, I really do. I think I'm just trying to jinx it, but opposite. I don't know how, what the term for that is, but just trying to... I don't I don't want that evil on me if I say yes and then he leaves. All right. Well, let's see what happens. It's gonna be a fun off season. Uh Weston, let's do this again soon, man. Hey, I'm looking Hopefully under to... better circumstances. Um yeah. more positive. <laughs> yeah, I'm really bummed out, but I'm really glad that you invited me on. <laughs> You're not the first person to say that coming mm-hmm. on this podcast. All right, man. Well, we can find you on Twitter at WShep. We can read you at dailythunder.com again the best thunder website on the internet i check it every day um and all that great stuff so uh keep up with daily thunder and west in the summer as the thunder get ready to go through a big big off season all okay. right Weston, i appreciate it thank you and that'll do it for today's episode of the chase thomas podcast i uh, just want to remind you guys if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on apple podcast or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support, and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.